We love supporting and promoting the creators of musical theater throughout the world. And we would love to have your support as well. Go to musicaltheaterradio.com and click on the Become a Patron button because a supportive community is a strong community. Welcome back to another episode of Be Our Guest here on Musical Theater Radio. I am your host, as always, Jean-Paul Yovanoff. We are heading across the pond once again to meet a writing team who've written two musicals with another on the way, started a production company, and that's all within the last five years. They have been very busy. Let's get to know them and their work a little better by welcoming James Beanie and Gina Giorgio to the show. James, Gina, hello. Hi. <laughs> Awesome. It's Thank great so to much. have you on here. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. No yeah, problem. So before we get into your works and all that fun stuff, we always like to get to know our guests a little bit better. So James, we're going to start with you. We would like the 30 second bio of James. Who is James in 30 seconds? That's an interesting question. Uh, I uh, I'm a lover of sport. I'm actually, bizarrely, a former professional cricketer, but I moved into musical theatre. My family have always sort of loved entertainment, and I taught myself the guitar when I was about 13 or 14, and yeah, uh, the rest is history. I, I love animals, I love music, and I love sport. <laughs> That'll do. Nice, short, quick, to the point. Now we know you. Gina, you've heard what James said. You have 30 seconds. Who is Gina? I feel like James's answer was so good. I don't know how I can follow that. I actually really did get everything in first, about you. Yeah, your 30 seconds are up now, so that's it. <laughs> so I also absolutely love animals. I'm a great lover of birds and um, actually had a bird for 20 years. I had a cockatiel called Elvis, who sadly couldn't sing very well, not, not as well as the actual Elvis. <laughs> um, but I love music. I'm a pianist, so I started playing the piano when I was little and I've always loved music books, literature, and theatre, of course. So, um, yeah, I think we have a lot in common, uh, the two of us. But one thing we don't have in common is that James is a, is a very talented sportsman. He used to be a professional cricketer, actually. Um, and I am not a sporty whatsoever. So um, I think, uh, yeah, you definitely have have that over me. <laughs> Gina's a very good badminton player. She doesn't admit it, but uh, she's de very decent at the net. That's about <laughs> but, uh, it's a myth, yeah. honestly, that's a myth. <laughs> <laughs> so so um gina let's start with you i always like to take it back to the beginning um were you always into musical theater growing up or was that something you discovered a little bit later in life yeah it's something that i was always into really because it was completely pushed on me by my father who is obsessed with musical theater he is a um a huge fan of andrew lloyd webber of Les Mis, um, of pretty much every musical actually, but particularly Andrew Lloyd Webber. So growing up, he used to play music around the house all day, every day, and 99% of that was probably musical theatre. So yeah, I would say I was kind of brainwashed to love theatre. <laughs> Disney as well and was Disney, a big thing, yeah. wasn't it, for you as a youngster? Disney, yeah, and he used to buy me um, lots of books you know that you could sort of play on the piano from all of the music from these these shows and um, from the Disney films Aladdin the Little Mermaid um, and so yeah I just used to spend my childhood at the piano trying to work out how to play them really. Nice. And James yourself? Yeah I, th I think uh, I was introduced to musical theatre at quite a young age my my mum was a singer and my dad was an actor so I I was in that world to an extent and uh, my dad wasn't really a singer but I, I saw him in, in a musical I think when I was very young and 
he, he was always the, the the character who can't really sing. That was that was sort of his thing. But uh, um, yeah, I I was very sort of passionate about cats as a youngster, as in the musical. Now, not the not, I love the animals too, but <laughs> I just remember seeing it as a kid and and something about it really sort of captured me and and I remember I, I would, whenever we had any kind of long drive anywhere I'd, I'd listen to the cassette I mean that's just how long ago it was but sort of listen to the cassette from start to finish and I knew all the words and I think as I as I then got older I obviously branched out into into, into other shows and you know I, I love Les Mis I think that's pro probably my favorite show and I saw Phantom when I was quite young and I think for me the the, the way that a, a story can be elevated by music is the most kind of exciting, exciting thing about musical theatre. Gina, was there anything else you wanted to do outside of, uh, you know, the arts growing, when you were in, in school? Because sometimes people just know they want to go into that, but then there's something they kind of want to do as well. Is there anything? Sure. Um, do you know, I can't really remember anything off the top of my head. I think I didn't really think about careers so much as what I just enjoy to study. So I was always drawn to the arts and loved studying English literature, history. Um, I also quite enjoyed languages as well. Um, but yeah, I'd never really sort of thought particularly about what I wanted to go into. And then I met James when I was studying um, at university. So um, yeah, we just sort of, well, we were actually in a band for four years together before we started writing musical theater pieces. So um, yeah, we sort of fell into it really. Cool. So James, give us the lowdown. How did these two parallel lives of yours meet? <laughs> it is a, yeah, it's a bit of an unusual mix, I suppose. But I grew up with cricket. I think that was introduced to me probably a little bit before music, for whatever reason. I mean, I, obviously, I listened to music, but I, I don't think I played the instruments at that point. And it was just something I, I was mainly a batsman. And it, for whatever reason, seemed to, to click with me at a young age. And I went to, to schools where sport was always seen as a, a major part of your sort of existence there. And yeah, it, it just seemed the, I was very passionate about it. I loved the game and, and I really, really loved to bat. And so it, it felt like an obvious thing to, 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 to sort of pursue. But at the same time, it was interesting. When I started learning the guitar, I think that was when I really connected with my instrument because I had a, I had a few piano lessons before that, but it was never my sort of number one instrument. And I think once I became connected to the guitar, I suddenly found that I had these two different worlds that, you know, the cricket bat glued to my hands and the guitar at the same time. And they both felt sort of equally comfortable, but in different ways. And so I, I started writing the old song when I was younger and, and I liked to sing. And, and I think it was always there, you know, as this kind of hobby in the background. But I, as I got older, I just, you know, I realized that actually ultimately that was the thing that I, I loved more than anything. And I think there's a, for me, the, the thing I love about music is the fact that you can create something that is completely original. You know, you can, you can any, any writer of any song, it's the same as writing, you know, literature or whatever, you're creating something that didn't exist before. And that's, that's a pretty exciting thing. So what was the band's name? What kind of music do we play? We were called Virgin Soldiers and our music, I suppose, was um, kind of rock music, but we used to kind of describe it as rock music with string instruments. Um, acoustic, really. Yeah, acoustic rock, I suppose. Um, we had strings in the band. We had um, a viola player, a cellist, and mm. a violin player as well. So it slightly changed the, the sound, I suppose. 
um, I think everybody's assumption really used to be that it was folk, but actually that the songwriting wasn't mm. that folky. So we, we never really found a way of describing it um, exactly. But yeah, I think acoustic rock is probably the closest we'll get. <laughs> we, we still sort of work in a way with the same lineup and same musicians a, a lot of the time. So the, where the, the transition kind of happened from being a band into musical theatre was that we, we wrote a song about a war hero and it was originally designed to be a song that we would sing with with the group but we i don't know there was something about this particular story uh, that we that we sort of stumbled across about uh, this this war hero it was a local man to us in, in tunbridge wells in kent and we uh, we just felt we had to do something more with it and so we really started to to develop the story we, we started writing more songs and before we knew it we suddenly were in a position where we had about i think 14 or 15 songs and we thought what on earth are we going to do with these because we weren't really ready to we didn't want to release an album at that point it just didn't quite feel the right thing to do and we'd been really building uh, quite a decent following with the with the band through normal gigs and playing you know sort of contemporary pop songs i suppose you call them and it was at that point that we decided let's kind of create this concept performance which I, I guess if it was a release it would be a concept album and it was a case of us playing the songs with our band we, we sung as narrators we had um, various people popping up on screens as narrators and and then in front of us on the stage we had a, a, a cast of I think were there maybe 17 or 18 mm. uh, all sort of young local amateur performers so many school kids actually who we trained over about a year and a half uh, sort of every Saturday and every Sunday. They worked like a... so hard, didn't they? They <laughs> worked so hard. They were there every single week, missing various things like birthday parties and um, all kinds of things. Yeah, yeah they, they were was... so committed. And they were very good. And, you know, they, they, they by the end of it, they sung really, really well together. And we put it on for a few performances in Tunbridge Wells uh, in our hometown and a, a theatre there, then put it on in London for a couple of weeks. And I think the thing that we came away with after that experience was that we felt that to try and... I guess, explore the full potential of a musical production. Firstly, it couldn't rely on us. You know, we couldn't be there. Have to, we, we, frankly, we wouldn't want to be playing the show for the next 10 years. You know, we, we have the ambition to try and make the show something that lasts in the theatre, and, and, but also to you know, be able to put it around the world in lots of theatres at once. So we decided that that uh, was part of it, but also to be a proper musical, we, we wanted to get rid of the narration and sort of turn that into a proper kind of sung through show with characters singing to one another. So we, yeah, it was at that point then that we really started developing it into the, the full show, which is now The Dreamers. So tell us a little bit about The Dreamers and, and the, the plot and the synopsis. So as I mentioned just a moment ago about the war hero, it's uh, a young a young man from Tunbridge Wells in the First World War was, uh, his father, father encouraged him to pull together a, a unit of, men essentially to, to fight in the first world war and they the vast majority of them came from the same village and they were sent to gallipoli in turkey and on the way to gallipoli there the ship that they were on they turned the lights out uh, in enemy waters and about 40, 40 minutes or so from the coast of gallipoli and another ship was heading in the opposite direction it was actually another british ship yeah exactly an empty ship that they just sort of dropped off a load of troops on the, on the beaches and it was heading in the opposite direction and they didn't see one another and the the, the, the larger ship crashed into the side of the, the ship with Reggie who's the, the, the protagonist and 
um, and and obviously all of the other men on the ship. And they went down within 15 minutes and 155 men were killed, pretty much all from this one village, including Reggie, who was last seen giving his life jacket to another man. He actually had the only life jacket on the ship. And so that was what that original song was about, that, that sort of moment of, of you know, not, not knowing what to do in that, that, that situation. And, and yet, I guess his, you know, unbelievable sense of decency somehow came across him and he was able to give a give a life jacket to someone else and save another man's life you know I guess the definition of self-sacrifice mm -hmm. and so that's the that's the sort of outline of the show but then within that we've built uh you know built up all the characters and the relationships I guess it's really about what it is to you know to, to be a part of a group of people who love each other and you know what it is to leave your your family behind and you know all the all the different emotions that are attached to war yeah and the first song was called 8 p.m because apparently what had happened was they managed to retrieve uh somebody's watch um who had whose life had been lost in the accident and their watch had stopped at about eight o'clock so they know that was sort of roughly when the accident had, had taken place um so that first song was called 8 p.m and, and i suppose the thing that's a little bit unusual about our our musical that's about war is there isn't actually any war in it um, they never actually make it to the battlefield oh, very interesting very cool um gina what was it like you obviously were in a band you were able you were writing songs and things like that but this is a whole different beast you've moved into from a band writing to writing a musical with songs and and everything that's intertwined what, what was that like was that something that was you found easy or or was it uh, you know a little bit of a struggle because it's something new of course, yeah, it, it was quite daunting and still is as well. I think when you embark on a on a musical, you know you're in for a lot of writing, <laughs> a lot of lyrics. That seems to be the thing that you kind of, for some reason, although it's the same amount of music pretty much, um, <laughs> it feels like, the, I suppose, music has a more repetitive nature to it. So um, whereas lyrics, yeah, I suppose you, you have to write so many um, fresh lyrics, especially when it's a song through musical and all of the dialogue and conversation is, is um, told through through lyrics as well. So it is really daunting. Um, we sort of try to approach it a little bit like when we were a band um, and just kind of take it song by song and, and move through the creative process sort of just by chipping away at the story. James, what was it like that moment when you've, you've written the show, the, you got the cast, you got everything, and that first time you saw it on stage? with everybody well funnily enough we we haven't actually seen the dreamers because we so <laughs> so, the, so the, the way that it works with the dreamers was that we we did a development workshop and we, we didn't have any kind of presentation at the end of it we just mm. decided to try and kind of get through the whole thing or as much of it as we possibly could through through a couple of weeks and then we decided as a what was supposed to initially be a concert performance, but actually it ended up being more or less the full production. Mm. We turned Abbey Road Studios, the, the famous recording studios where the Beatles worked and that sort of thing. Uh, we turned it into a theatre. It was the first time ever that it's, it happened in the history of the studios, which is really a, a, a lovely little piece of history, I guess, for us mm. to have been a part of. And Studio One, which is the, the, the main space there, is where they record the orchestras for film and that sort of thing. We, we basically brought the whole thing in and it built like almost like a little TV set in a way and, and put the seating in. And uh, the reason why we didn't see it was because we actually played the music for it. Uh, <laughs> we, we decided it was a little bit, you know, you, you can't not play your own show at Abbey Road Studios. It just felt, <laughs> it felt wrong not to, not to be a part of it in that way. So we were sort of 
hidden away up in the darkness on the on, the, on a little balcony above, and uh, yeah, played the music. So we, we've seen the seen the footage back. But I suppose the the one thing that I could probably say to answer the question would be the first day of the workshop, the first day of the development workshop, because that was very much for us, I would say, the first time where we were able to see our uh, musical theatre sort of style creation on its feet. And, and you know, we had uh, Lee Proud there as a choreographer, our director, Jean-Pierre van der Spey, uh, both of them there, and, and suddenly seeing songs come to life with, with a narrative element. I mean, that was really interesting because obviously we, you know, we feel, you know, we, we sort of create a story for the characters when they're singing to one another, but often the songs are a little bit more generic. Uh, in, in, you know, so, so for example, an ensemble song, there's, a, there's one called The Dreamer's Anthem, which when we wrote it, it was very much a case of people singing about national pride, going away to fight a war. And suddenly Lee, after a couple of hours, had the, the men all sort of doing a routine uh, that, that I guess what would you call it? Like, almost like the, like the, the a, a medical, a medical, a medical yeah. you know, before before going to fight it or before enlisting, and it it was just amazing seeing that come to life. And uh, you know, I, I still remember that first workshop day really clearly because it and um, with with real excitement because it was yeah quite quite surreal actually. Yeah, I think a moment for me that kind of um, that I remember really clearly was seeing the actors and actresses in their costumes for the first time because I think it suddenly felt like these characters that had just existed in our heads were sort of really there, really present and um, had, had really come to life. So I, I remember that feeling of being at Abbey Road and we were in the cafe at Abbey Road, which is amazing actually. It's one of my favorite things about Abbey Road, just as a side note, because the food is really good. <laughs> and they have really charming photographs of all the kind of iconic people who have sat in the cafe and, and eaten before. So I remember being in the cafe, which is always just pleasant enough as it is. And then suddenly some of the, um, yeah, some of the actors came through in their, their costumes. And yeah, I just remember actually feeling quite moved by it um, and really feeling like, yeah, these characters who'd just been these abstract images in our heads had, um, yeah, really come to life. So at that point now, you, you had the dreamers under your belt. Now let's talk about Lady M. What was the impetus for that? What, what, was, what made you want to write that show? Well, I think so, so as as we sort of put on this workshop performance of the dreamers, we at that point were planning to sort of plow on and put it on as a, for a full run in a, in a, in a theatre. And, and it wasn't, you know, we started building momentum towards that. And then, of course, the pandemic happened. And so we were left in a situation where I guess we suddenly had a lot of time that we wouldn't have otherwise had. And, you know, we had in our minds that we wanted to write a, a new show and we'd been starting to, you know, we've been sort of going back and forth about what that might be and I think we'd already decided that we wanted it to be based on some sort of classic kind of literature whether whether that uh, you know would be a novel or, or a play and you know Shakespeare I guess it's one of those things you, you just sort of keep coming back to and I think what really appealed to us about Macbeth is that obviously it's such a dark tale and in some ways, it maybe doesn't necessarily feel like uh, the most obvious choice for a musical, but because our style tends to be, uh, you know, writing a World War One show, I suppose it's not satirical at all. You know, we had there were sort of light moments in the Dreamers, but but we love to write stuff that's gritty and serious, and uh, you know, we, we want to stir people. And so, yeah, for me, I, on a personal note, I, I just I love the idea of, of that and the witches as well, trying to get to the, bo the bottom of what they would be. Musically, it offered a lot, mm. uh, a lot of potential, I think. 
Nice. And so where are we with the process of Lady M? Is, is it got a full production ready to go? Is it still in workshopping? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it's still in development. We mm -hmm. have done one, and I would say one and a half workshops, but the first workshop we had to close because quite a few of us got COVID. It was right in the sort of Omicron phase. Um, so that was really frustrating, but we did another workshop um, earlier this year uh, with our cast and creative team. And now we're just sort of making some tweaks to the script and music. We're actually rewriting one of the songs. Uh, it's just us probably faffing around a bit now at the last minute, <laughs> just sort of changing things that might not need to be, but just why not? <laughs> yeah, and I think I think one of the, the, the main things we're really working on at the moment is, is Lady, Lady Macbeth's presence throughout the story, because obviously being Lady M, it's, uh, you know, we are putting the focus on, on her. And whilst we tell the, the actual story of Macbeth uh, with, with a few tweaks here and there, we are also, uh, we sort of built in a backstory of Lady Macbeth based on one particular line in the, in the, the, like the sort of final act of the play. And so it's, I won't say what it is because it might, I don't want to sort of spoil the, the story too much, but it, it's, uh, but we have had to, well, I say had to, but we've chosen to create a, a, an original kind of backstory for her, which ties in with everything. And I guess it explains why she is the way she is. You know, that we all have a picture of who Lady Macbeth is in our heads. And I think we just wanted to add a bit of human uh, explanation maybe as to why she does what she does. And, you know, we've developed some of the other relationships within the show as well. And I think, I think that, um, that will add to it. But on the side of, of the, I suppose, the sort of behind the scenes development, we are also, uh, in some, from a sort of public perspective, we're releasing tracks over, over, over the next sort of six months or so. Mm -hmm. So the first song, Mother Scotland, which was, at, this was slightly, uh, stressful and uh, awkward way of recording we we did it all in the lockdown but then we didn't release it for about nine or ten months so it came out after the lockdown but it all had to be done remotely and thankfully our, our, the, an engineer we were working with a guy called Mark Lord managed to make it sound like a studio recording which was amazing I don't know how he did it because uh, the recording devices were not the best but uh, but yeah so that was the first track and that's gone really well I mean it's it, the play seems to be sort of picking up all the time and it's about to go over 100,000 plays on Spotify now, which is exciting because it hasn't been really marketed yet. So it's mm. it's just building that kind of organic growth, I suppose. And and then the second song uh, that came out was uh, sung by Carrie Ellis, who is our uh, so she's been our, our Lady Macbeth in the workshops, which has been fantastic. She is amazing. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's another side note. We went to see her in Anything Goes uh, on Tuesday, mm. and she was unbelievable. And the show was absolutely incredible. Yeah, it was very funny, yeah. wasn't it? Very funny. And uh, yeah, Carrie, Carrie is amazing. She's just so charismatic, and obviously has an unbelievable voice. And so then we have another load of tracks coming out. Jamie Moscato has sung one and Carl Queensborough and Mayor Quanterbreed. And there's another one that we've sung as well that's going to be coming out over the next few months. But we've actually been working on the tracks with a guy called Rick Simpson, who is Coldplay's record producer. And he is just amazing. I mean, he, he brings something so special to the, to the, the music and he's we're sort of orchestrating, Gina and I kind of orchestrate the songs to a point with, with the lineup we discussed earlier, the band lineup, and and we had some percussion to it. But then Rick is bringing this just unbelievable knowledge and um, of sort of samples and electronic sounds, and he's just got an amazing musicality about him. And so he is uh, he's he's then sort of taking that and enhancing and elevating every area of the songs, and and, and you know giving them a really 
contemporary feel, but also uh, an incredibly atmospheric feel. I think that was the, the main reason why we wanted to work with Rick, because obviously when you listen to Coldplay, there's such an atmosphere to, the, to their sound. And for Macbeth or, or Lady M in this case, with the witches and the, the, you know, there's just so much potential there. But funnily enough, we actually tweeted Rick during the lockdown. That was uh, how our sort of connection came about. You know, we, we sent him a, a direct message on there and uh, we were incredibly excited when he came back because, you know, as I said, we wanted to work with him for years. So many connections were made during the with the lockdown, just social media wise, just saying, hey, hi, because what else are you going to do? It's not like you're going anywhere. <laughs> Everyone is in front of their computers. Um, you, you mentioned that you're, you're rewriting some songs or working on some stuff. Gina, what's what's that process like for the two of you? Is, is it one writes lyrics, one likes music? You each write one or the other. How does that process work when you both, you know, write that stuff? Sure. So we do everything together. So we both do the music and both do the lyrics and we both do the book and then some narrative side of things as well, um, which is really fun because you always have someone that you can bounce off of and, and you're constantly sharing that creative process. So what we tend to do is usually in sort of rather than sitting down saying, right, today we're going to write a song, James will often just kind of play around on his guitar, I'll play around on my piano and then we'll record things that we kind of stumble upon just in that kind of, um, yeah, I suppose in that kind of organic process. And then what we'll do is we'll kind of go through that sort of back catalogue of stuff that we've recorded on our phones, pick out a theme. So say we're then looking to write a scene for the witches, we might think, oh, that thing we did a couple of weeks ago might suit that. And then we'll sit with our instruments together and kind of really play around with those chords and ideas and motifs and themes and then if it's a, a, a piece that that requires lyrics then we do the lyrics after on the whole so we usually do the music first and then lyrics afterwards and then when we kind of want to adapt or change things then we kind of just um yeah work our way through line by line if it's a, a lyric you know lyric side of things that needs to be changed but if it's a musical thing, um, then yeah, we just kind of make our way through through by playing the, the song again live in the room with each other and kind of stop when it doesn't feel right and then re rework that. Um, so yes, I suppose it's quite varied really how mm. we how we work, but it usually just comes from jamming around on the instruments and then waiting for the other one to say, that was nice, what was that? <laughs> and then usually you think, oh, I can't remember now. <laughs> we very often uh, have melodies and harmonies before we have lyrics as well. So, I mean, does it, I, I think musical theatre slightly changed our working process because with a band, it would always be that all the music would come first. But we definitely now sometimes go into things knowing we need a particular theme or a particular feel. And we know, you know, we, at this point, so-and-so has to sing a song that has this kind of feel. So there, there's a little bit more, obviously, of an inspiration coming from the story. But a lot of the time, again, these sort of organic kind of, I suppose, improvising in a way when we'll mm. be playing chords and the two of us, because um, obviously I... I sing with a, a male register and Gina sings with a female register, which is quite useful as well for musical theatre because mm -hmm. especially with the ensemble songs, we're able to kind of sing the parts, work out where we want our harmonies to sit and we'll usually write sort of third and fourth harmonies, kind of layering them on top of that. But this yeah. the, the process this time around has been interesting because we, we bought uh, a few little bits of recording equipment uh, just so we could do things at home during the lockdown, which was something we'd never done before. So the majority of the ideas go on the phone, which is uh, just um, very basic stuff. So we've got thousands of things on the phone, but then it was just useful being able to have 
a decent setup at home so that we could record you know piano guitar vocals for, for the majority of the show it's quite funny because sometimes we are also a couple as well so we live together and um sometimes when you feel like you stumbled and not on an idea wherever james is in their house i'll suddenly shout get the phone get the phone, I need the phone. <laughs> and um yeah just before you forget kind of what you're in the middle of writing and then um, it's usually just before i go to bed and i'm just like in the middle of the night that's happened a couple of times with the show which has never ever happened to me before which is that i've woken up sort of at five o'clock in the morning there's been a theme sort of going around in my head and i've had to get up and you get really cross with me <laughs> but the problem is if i go back to sleep that's it it'll be gone forever so um yeah but when, when it comes to kind of vocal melodies as James said we tend to harmonize together in the room and just kind of see what happens really so we'll tend to kind of press record on the phone just harmonize together and just kind of swim about vocally and see what emerges <laughs> I, I've been there at the three o'clock in the morning thing <laughs> just inspiration <laughs> hits and you're just I have to do this nice thing is it's just me so I don't wake anybody else up but <laughs> I totally understand where you're coming from and it's just you just got to keep going until it's out right yeah and you sort of have that feeling where you're lying there thinking I'm really comfortable and quite tired yeah. is it worth it and you're like oh I'm gonna regret this in the morning so yeah I get up yeah. so in in 2020 in the middle of the pandemic uh, you started your production company Toy Soldier uh, I'd love to learn more about that yeah, so we are, I guess, as, as theatre writers, I suppose we call ourselves more like theatre creators in a way, because we, we, it's not a situation where a, a producer comes to us and says, you know, can you write the lyrics to that or can you, we, I, I guess the way we see our shows, and particularly, you know, Lady M now, right from the, the, the moment that we decided we wanted to write a musical about Lady M or about Macbeth, um, we wanted to sort of, pull the process together you know so we went out and found uh, the, the various people involved you know we wanted to try and get some artwork that was going to represent the show right from the beginning so we, we got a guy called Gary who is a you know he's a brilliant uh, designer Gary Kelly he does all sorts of things like uh, the script the band he worked with and you two and he, he's more in that world and you know that was a I guess quite a conscious decision on our part to go for somebody more from a, a band background rather than theatre so just to give it a different feel and give it a bit of a, an edge and then, of course, bringing Rick into the process, uh, bringing Rick Simpson and, and then our director, JP, and Lizzie G, who's been choreographing the workshops. It's, I guess the, what I'm getting at is that we have a, an overarching vision for what we see our, our, our show being and the look of it and all the different elements. And so we, for that reason, we wanted to have, a, I guess, a production company that would represent us uh, on a, from, from a producing point of view. And uh, you know that that also includes the Dreamers, and another project that we have going called the Frontline Singers, which was uh, just a song we wrote in the pandemic and uh, about the frontline. Gina's dad's a policeman, and we sort of did one of those virtual videos, and then they actually went on Britain's Got Talent this year, which was which was lovely, and so they they had a you know a good experience on there. But we were again just it was useful to have a kind of central production company that would cover ev everything essentially that we create. That that's the idea, and uh, it gave us an opportunity just to. You know, get a bit of financial backing to to get the ball rolling with a few projects. 
Yeah, the pandemic, obviously, it was terrible, but some of the stuff that came out of it that for, we were forced to create, like, I don't know how many studios got created, like you said, in, in basements or in extra bedrooms and, and creating, you know, your production company and things like that. So congratulations to the two oh, of right. you on, on putting all this together, and especially in the last, what, five years? It's, it's not been very long, has it? Thank you. Thank you. We, we really feel like we owe our, you know, the people that have come into our company and the people that backed us financially, you know, huge thanks for, for helping us in, in that difficult time because most of them came into our company during the pandemic, the very early months of the pandemic. And I think we really saw the best of people that they really wanted to support the arts. And, um, and yeah, it meant that we could really drive these projects at a time when otherwise I think that would have been quite difficult. But also I think it, it showed during the pandemic just how important the arts are. I know mean, obviously, you know, everyone was living at home watching Netflix all the time. We realized just how, you know, what a significant part of our lives um, the arts sort of provide. And also, also, you know, missing out on live experience. That was such a, such a major thing for so many people. Mm. So I think it's uh, in a lot of ways now we are kind of getting back to some kind of normality. It feels very exciting to see where you know live performance can go. So speaking of, where are you going? What's in the future that you can talk about um, for your shows and the production company? So the, the, our major focus at the moment is Lady M uh, from a musical theatre perspective. We are, yeah, we're really excited about the way things are going with the developments. As, as I mentioned earlier, the, 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 the main sort of public thing that people will see over the coming months will be the release of the various tracks that we've been working on with uh, some great singers. Uh, they were all recorded at Abbey Road as well. So that, you know, we've worked with some really top engineers and uh, the show itself we we hope there'll be some version of it in 2023 where we're having we're sort of starting sort of various talks of various people i can't really say too much at the moment but um but yeah it's uh, some some exciting things are are definitely happening behind the scenes and i mean it's quite possible we might do another another week or two of workshopping just to keep developing it because it's you know musicals especially something with an epic kind of story like this they they are a major undertaking and, and you know you need the time to whether it's going through the story or, or working out, you know, the, the choreography for scenes, because we'll have quite a, a, a probably some medium to large size cast for this as well. So, you know, a lot of time we'll need to go into to making sure that it, it looks and feels right. But uh, yeah, so there's a lady I'm going well. And the frontline singers, uh, I mean, it's a separate project, but actually it sort of relates to musical theatre because we had uh, had three people as a part of the group who were West End actors who uh, is Paul Wilkins, Sam O'Rourke and Devon Elise Johnson, who actually worked on the front line during the pandemic. So we felt there was a, a really sort of lovely kind of tie in there. And, uh, and, and those guys all appeared on Britain's Got Talent with the group. And we've got a single coming out in uh, about a month, I think it's September the 9th, which is Emergency Services Day, it's Strange Old World. It's the song they sang in their audition on BGT. So it's a, it'll be the first release by the group. And uh, yeah, we're just really excited to keep moving that forward as well, because it has a, a really nice community feel to it. And I think it, the, you know, it's the, there's potential to involve other actors, for example, in the future, who because so many of them do key worker jobs in, the, you know, in between acting jobs. So how do people get to know you better? Is the website and social media, how, how can they get to know you? Yeah, it's, uh, our, our sort of production company site is toysoldierproductions.com, which is very easy. And uh, the, the, the 
I mean, the bulk of the uh, material online, um, Lady M Musical is the sort of main ha uh, tag or handle, whatever you call it these days. That's at Lady M Musical, that's all over the place. Um, but also we have an at Beanie Giorgio page on everything as well. So that's kind of our, I, I suppose, our writing thing, our, our kind of central page. But Beanie Giorgio is not the easiest thing necessarily to spell. But I think if you get the, B, <laughs> the Beanie part right, which is B-E-E-N-Y, I think, I think the next bit probably follows on from there. <laughs> nice. Um, James, Gina, thank you so much for coming on today and, and introducing myself and the world that uh, might not know who you are to your, your shows and, and what you've been doing. And congratulations on everything there. Thank, thank you so you. much. And thank yeah. you so much for having us. It's been really fun chatting and all through. And um, yeah, thank you. Thank well, you so much. Before we go, I always ask my guests three questions. There's no right or wrong answer, but <laughs> uh, people are judgy, the listeners. They might judge you. I won't, but yeah, they <laughs> So just to let you know. So an easy first question. Here we go. Question number one. What creator or team within musical theater has had a great influence on you? Now, it could be a composer, lyricist, director, producer, actor, even stage manager. It could be somebody famous or not famous, like a teacher. Is there anybody in musical theater, the, the musical theater world, that's had a great influence on you? Yeah, so I'm going to say Sir Tim Rice. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I, and I, I was going to say Cam, Cameron Mackintosh. So, nice. Yeah, yeah, I love Tim Rice. I think his lyrics are... Mm just oh just so consistently clever witty so musical um he is an absolute hero and we had the absolute honor of meeting him um a few years ago um and yeah i was very starstruck <laughs> <laughs> you know what perfect answer i'm going to give you extra half point because you said tim rice so i one and a half points <laughs> for the first question awesome <laughs> question number two Beautiful Game is about football. Lysistrata Jones, basketball, dear damn Yankees, baseball. Is there going to be Bowler the Musical coming up anytime soon? Well, uh, I'm more of a batsman. So if it was going to, you know, so, so probably not for that reason. I but like uh, Batsman yeah. the Musical might sound a bit like yeah, something. Exactly. exactly. Like, that's why I went with Bowler. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I think it's it's probably <laughs> unlikely. <laughs> it's not it's not dark enough for us. I mean, we could tell a really dark cricket tale. They, they, they do exist. So. <laughs> so, so nothing in the horizon right now, but it's it's in the back pocket that might happen. You never know. It's good. To, it's good to have the option, isn't it? You know, to, to think. You know, I I could sort of be the consultant at least. I'll let you write one. <laughs> if, the, um, if the game is anything to go by, it'd have to be about an eight-hour musical. I think. Yeah. I've sat watching five, five James, days. Yeah, I've, I've sat watching many a long. Um, I, James always laughs at me because I say the wrong thing. Should I say match or game? If I were to match say is match, better, but game match, works. Yeah. yeah, it's fine. Okay, he tells me off if I use the wrong terminology, and cricket has a lot of terminology. <laughs> you know what? I discovered cricket. I don't know about ten years ago, and I loved watching it. For beginning, oh. I didn't understand a thing about it, but as I watched it, I was like, okay, I get this now. It's actually quite popular. Yeah. It's as popular in Canada. I've, uh, when I was at university, I remember we had a, one of the Canadian international players at the university playing. And it's, uh, yeah, it, it is a, it's, it's a great sport. It's getting more and more popular, I think, because of the, the shorter versions of it. That's definitely mm -hmm. yeah. helped that people don't have to be there for five days. Yeah. Well, I really got into it. <laughs> I, I didn't know anything about cricket before I met James, and he's, tried to teach me the rules i feel like i'm getting to grips with it now 12 years later but um yeah it is an amazing sport really engaging and and 
Yeah, loads of twists and turns as well. I, I, I love it. But not great for a musical. <laughs> <laughs> well, then as a follow-up, how about badminton the musical since, Gina, you're such a, you're so proficient at it. <laughs> exactly, yeah. It is. Oh gosh, this is, this is, oh no, this is going to stick now. I'm yeah. terrible at badminton. I'm, just for the record, terrible at badminton, terrible at all sports. <laughs> Correct answer so far. Another point for question number two. All right, question number three, the one they might judge you on. I don't know. We'll see. Food in the theater or cell phones in the theater? Which is worse? Well, I think if if one is eating food, but quite discreetly, then I think that's the better option. I think it's yeah, harder is, to be discreet no, yeah. on something that lights up. Yeah, there, there is no there is no place <laughs> for a, a phone in a the theater whatsoever. The phone should be turned off and put in the bag. That is that's. There, Do you know what though? Uh, I did have the thought the other day when we went to see Kerry that. I wonder if there should be a point at which it's suddenly okay, like to film the. the no, they, do, they do that. Yeah, lots, oh, of, lots, do lots that, of shows do that. Okay. Yeah, no, but that's encouraged. But, it, yeah. but during the show, you can't be. I mean, the idea of somebody sitting there with the light shining on their phone is ridiculous. Or imagine taking a call in the theatre. Well, the other reason I was thinking it was when we went to see um, the guy who's playing, um, who's been playing Macbeth in our workshops, has been on as Hamilton for the last year mm. over in the West End. And um, he was unbelievable. We went to see his last show. And the moment at which he comes out and says uh, his name, Alexa Alexander Hamilton, I won't, I won't try and sing it because uh, I feel like I won't do it justice. But uh, when he comes out and, and sings that, the applause, because it was his last show, was going on and on and on. It was amazing. The atmosphere was incredible. And I so wanted to get my phone out and film it. I think some people managed to, to yeah. capture it. But that was one of those moments where I thought, I'm not going to do it, but I, I kind of wish I had been able to because it was just incredibly magical to see him getting that that support i reckon the, the applause i mean the applause was just oh my god it was just going on and on and on it was amazing but on food obviously depends what it is sushi def <laughs> definitely not <laughs> you know the, the hot dog probably not that's not great either but there there is some a boiled sweet that you've sort of carefully unwrapped before the beginning of the show that's going to last through the first act that i can be i can i'm okay with that i had a guest tell me that somebody brought in a bucket of chicken um to a show and i was like what <laughs> like it's not loud but the smell would yeah, be I mean, it's, and your hand what are they doing with their hands i have no idea <laughs> like, it's weird that's really bold isn't it that's, oh yeah that's not just like i've brought in some sweets so i'm just going to subtly dip, dip in and out that's, I, that's, that's I, a meal <laughs> i assume when you say that we're going to be ju judged on this question i can't imagine that the chicken bucket person is going to be listening to the show so i assume you're on the right side of this argument i think i think we'll be okay <laughs> you your answers were perfectly fine i would have also accepted they're both terrible um, so another point. So congratulations, three and a half points out of three. Uh, I have no prizes, <laughs> but you can have bragging rights. You can tell everybody that you won the game, whatever that means. <laughs> so, but um, again, uh, James, Gina, thank you so much. And congratulations on everything you've, you've accomplished so far. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks, Thanks for having so us. much for having us. No problem. All right. We were just speaking with James Beanie and Gina Giorgio, uh, the creators of The Dreamers and Lady M and lots more in the future. Tune in next week as we'll speak with another guest or guests about their life, love, and passion that is musical theater. I am your host as always, Jean-Paul Yovanoff. And until next time, I'll see you when I see you. <laughs>